I was unable to receive what I had decided I wanted. I could not in my body and heart stay present while this positive feeling came towards me. And I share this with you and I'm going to share more about my journey of sexual healing and love because it is so much a part of everything that happens in our lives. If we can't receive the love and desire and gifts of people that we also love and desire, it changes our entire life. And it closes off so, so, so much. This is Aliveness. I'm your host, Allison Crossway, a guide and former psychotherapist here to empower you to break out of your old patterns, shift into a new state of being, and ignite your aliveness. Are you experiencing a lack of desire and perhaps tension in your relationship as a result? Or maybe you have a deep desire to step out of the life you have created according to the so-called rules to live a life of more passion and purpose. Maybe you're experiencing a sexual reawakening that is surprising you with its power. If any of these statements describe you, your sexuality is calling you. It's the portal into the next chapter of your life. I invite you to join me for Pleasure as Medicine. Pleasure as Medicine is a free week-long experience of practices and teachings to increase your life force energy, reconnect to your aliveness, and hear what your heart and soul are speaking through your experience of your sexual energy. It's happening June 5th to June 10th, and you can sign up at allisoncrossweight.com slash pleasure. You can win a one-on-one session with me during the Pleasure as Medicine experience, June 5th to 10th. In this session, we can process what's coming up for you and listen to what your body, heart, and soul are saying. To enter, simply leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts and take a screenshot of the review before submitting it. Share your review on Instagram stories and tag me, Allison Crossweight. Even if you're not able to attend Pleasure as Medicine, I would love to support you in a one-on-one session. You have until Wednesday, May 31st to enter, and we'll select two winners who will notify through a direct message on Instagram. It's gonna be a juicy week. I would love to have you. I'm in grade six, and I come in from recess to my four top desk where I sat with three other students and I stand in front of my desk and there is a heart-shaped box of chocolates with little paper roses on it. Quite lovely for the time. And I look at it and I'm like, what's this? Pick it up, take it to the front. Miss Percival, these must be for you. And she leans down and she looks at me and she says, no, they're for you. 
she was a bit scary. <laughs> and so I take the chocolates, and I don't know where I put them for the afternoon. But as I left that day, I remember stuffing them in my bag, leaving the classroom, going to the mat outside the classroom where all our boots were lined up, and putting on my boots. And Derek, I won't use his last name, comes out of the classroom and says to me, can I talk to you for a minute? And I say, no. <laughs> and I run out of the school. Derek was the boy I had had a crush on for months. Derek was smart. I like smart. Super cute. Really like understated kind of guy. I wouldn't have used the word understated when I was 12. Like, I liked this guy. And I think most of the class knew that I liked this guy. And I think that he had probably done his research and knew that I liked him. And he must have had some liking for me. In the moment when what I supposedly wanted had come to fruition, I could not bear that moment and pushed him away. And I have no memory of what happened between us after that, but I feel like we had no contact. And I continue to feel very badly about that moment because from an adult vantage point, I am sure I hurt him. He took a big risk and um, I feel very badly. So Derek... If I have looked for you on Facebook many years ago to apologize, if you ever catch this, I am so sorry. And I remember I was so embarrassed and scared that I stuffed the chocolates back into the back of my closet, not even wanting my parents to know they existed and not knowing how to get rid of them because they were quite big, so they would show up in the garbage. And many months later, I think when we were moving when I was 14, so that would have been two years later, I actually opened the chocolates and there was a card inside. <laughs> and it said, Allison, will you go around with me? And I never answered him though I think it kind of got his answer. God is a story hard to tell. This story is the story of sexuality, of intimacy, of receiving. I was unable to receive what I had decided I wanted. I could not, in my body and heart, stay present while this positive feeling came towards me. And of course, this pattern continued in my life. Just imagine how my relationship life went after that. And I share this with you. And I'm going to share more about my journey of sexual healing and love because it is so much a part of everything that happens in our lives. If we can't receive the love and desire 
and gifts of people that we also love and desire, it changes our entire life. And it closes off so, so, so much. And love gets to the heart of things. It was okay, you know, to be asked over to a friend's house to play. I could handle that. But I couldn't handle the charge. I couldn't handle it in my body. And that changed my life. And not for the better, the journey of coming to be able to hold that charge, and I am still in process, but the journey of being able to hold that charge and welcome and receive love and pleasure is part of the journey of aliveness that is part of all the areas of our life. Even though I cut off Derek's overtures, I always had a longing for love. I had a longing and still do for sacred union, for a kind of love that expands both people. And love, it got all mixed together with a lot of things. I was enraptured at six years old by Lady Diana's wedding. I still think that dress is is transporting and magical, despite everything we now know about the truth of that day and that union. And so there's all of that cultural conditioning and narrative. And then I was also raised fundamentalist Christian, raised that sex was for marriage that I remember being told by my mother, we have to help men control themselves. The implication being that being at all sexual or sensual was inviting overtures that that were not appropriate or not okay. I remember going to a dance. Here's another story. So 16, and I was wearing red lipstick and an off-the-shoulder top. And there was another boy I had a crush on. Mad crush. Oh, that one took years. Took years to really flush through my system. These crushes begin. Our desire begins. And I was mad for this boy. And my mother told me, take that lipstick off your face. (laughs) So I felt shame. Just one example of ways that I felt shame around my burgeoning beauty and sexuality and unsureness of how to bring it into the world safely. I remember asking this boy to dance. And we had a friendship. I was at a, going to an all-girls school. He was at an all-boys school. And I asked him to dance. And he danced with me like this, arms outstretched, like two feet between us. And it couldn't be more uncomfortable. So I was getting a bit of a taste of my own medicine. I remember my friend looking over my shoulder who knew this crush I had on this boy and the look of pity on her face. 
that he obviously wasn't into me. And the story has an amazing end that is not super relevant to today. But the amazing end to the story is that, I don't know, how old was that? Like 20 years later, this man and I went out. We re-encountered each other and went out for a drink. And he told me that he had a mad crush on me and had an erection and was so embarrassed. So what I had interpreted as utter rejection had in fact been desire that he was unable to hold. And so these are the things that happened. And the story continued that night and it's important, but I acted out. So I danced with someone else and then he got upset. And like we both had very traumatic evenings because we were unable to be present in our bodies with our hearts and And say, this is how I feel. This is how I feel. Of course, this is not uncommon. And isn't this the source of so much of our own difficulties nowadays? The struggle in in long-term relationships to just say, I love you. And so often, even now, I think to myself, with friends, with people that I love, I think about these things like, I want, I'm going to, I'm going to tell them right now, this is how I feel. And I say it all in my head. And then maybe I don't actually say it, that the stepping forward and being open and honest, whether it's about sex or love or all the things or friendship, it is, it is hard to do. And sometimes it feels like too much. Even a couple of days ago, I sent an email to someone that I hope to interview for the podcast who has this incredible book about sex. And I Maybe when she she expressed something that she was struggling with in her life, she's in grief right now. And I had this hugely open-hearted response. And after I sent it, I was like, oh, I should not have been, should not have said I'm here. Like we haven't earned that kind of trust. Like it's like the open and the close, the open and the close. It's so hard to be open-hearted. How oh, the journey, the journey. So I was brought up no sex before marriage, and you know my work. I have a a deep longing, a deep idealism, a deep opening to oneness, and that kind of fused with the fear and the conditioning of the culture and the, the teaching about marriage. And so this blend of like light and shadow came together, and I wanted that beautiful marriage. I wanted that marriage for a lifetime. And so I waited to be sexually active until I got married. But what I was missing in the whole thing was I wasn't intimate with myself, present with myself, able to hold that beautiful, loving, receiving charge of aliveness that gives and receives in this mutuality. So I wasn't able to have that resonance with a person who was able to create that kind of a marriage with me. So neither of us were able to create that. And so when I think about the people that I was able to hold the charge with were not people who were holding me with that kind of esteem. They did. They loved me. Every relationship I've had, I honestly believe the person has loved me, but they were more on my level of brokenness. And my long-term relationships, I was still really in this like 
you're married, you're married for a lifetime. And I tried that a couple times. I tried to do that model a couple times. And there was significant betrayal. A lot of, yeah, brokenness in those relationships. And I had no idea what I wanted. Like I kind of thought I had this idea. I mean, for my first honeymoon, I went to Disney World. And... Which I still like, please take me to Disney World. I think I'm saying that a lot this season. So I'm putting it out there. I need to dance with Daisy Duck. But all that aside, it's a funny place to go for your honeymoon. It's the number, I think it's the number one honeymoon destination in North America. Number two is Niagara Falls or the other way around. But I live near Niagara Falls. So what? But anyway, I remember getting there to Disney World. And I was like, oh, it doesn't work like this, does it? Like I had this idea that you... You, you find the person to marry, he proposes, you plan the wedding, then you are married, then it is a marriage. Ah, oh my God. Yeah, I didn't understand. I didn't understand that we created. And I really didn't understand that the patriarchy has this incredible system for distracting a woman from what's really going on by getting her all worried about the friggin' tablecloths. So she doesn't think about it. Uh, And that's just one way of seeing it, but true enough. So a lot of betrayals, a lot of control, a lot of sex addiction, porn addiction in my relationships from my partners. And I just felt really out of my body. Like I wasn't there and I didn't know how to bring myself like me, virgin, like wanting this union, but broken, not able to receive the love. So the no to the love. And then someone who's like immersed in another kind of sexuality. There was no bridge between the two of us. This happened a couple times in different relationships. So then there's working with men. I went into Bay Street and I chose to be a woman in a man's world. I remember in one of my first weeks on Bay Street, head of fixed income at the bank I was at said, I prefer the women on the floor to wear shorter skirts. And then the guy who sat beside me, he said, hey, Allison, come over here. Then, I don't know, he's in his 30s, so he felt older to me. And he said, there's something under my desk that I need help with. And I was so innocent. I was like, oh, what do you need? <laughs> it was a really hard environment of objectification on the one hand, devaluation, uh, a really, you know, hard way to navigate a lot of messages around don't show your sexuality. But if you're not hot, then you're ugly and you're a cow or something. Like I heard so much like negative about not hot, objectification about hot. I heard through the grapevine that I was hot in a kinky kind of way. And I was like, I have, like I competed for a really intelligent, This was a hard job to get, actually. And then I did a master's in computational finance at Carnegie Mellon. And like, I'm like this, I'm trying through all my trauma to like be smart, which was hard. Then I'm navigating all of this. And I find men very attractive. And there's all this energy going around and managing that as if it's like bad, but it's also supposed to be there. No win situation. No win situation. And, and very hard to find myself as me. I struggled to own who I was. 
home life not necessarily so good, connected to these men, but not sexually connected to them. Like just very uh, at sea. So I had a single period in the early 2000s when Sex in the City was really big and I had some really great girlfriends in Chicago. Had a kind of fun, wild time. And I think that was an important time uh, once my marriage had broken up because I'd never had that exploration time. But it came with all the challenges because just because I'm in exploration phase and just because I'm not completely and utterly terrified of men, but let's be honest, alcohol helped a lot, doesn't mean that my self-esteem was any better. And so lots of really difficult experiences and lots of sexual experiences where things were said to me that reflected how I wasn't honoring myself and a lot of drinking. And that was just when I was starting yoga and therapy. Like it was just, it was just starting to land in. Um, so, you know, exploration, but I wouldn't say like enjoyment of any of these things. And so then another man came along and he was like, I want to marry you. And in that state, I didn't see, I still didn't get the key point, which was how do I feel? I remember thinking, well, I'm not going to do any better because look at what I've just been living through for the past few years. It was all about like who I can get, like who's out there and what I can get as opposed to tolerating my own thoughts and feelings and seeing if I desired to walk alongside this person. It's really an amazing thing. Really amazing. So that relationship didn't work out. And I mean, what does not work out mean? And I think a lot of this too, is the topic of love and sex is, is so overdetermined. It's so complex because the journey of coming into the body, the journey of coming into who we are, the journey of shedding what we are taught is a life, it happens over time. And all of these journeys intersect and interweave, and none of them are static. During my sex in the city phase, so to speak, that was, that was a fair place to be at that moment in time. And in no way ever at this moment would I ever do those things. I mean, who knows about the future? I can't ever, I will never say never. I've learned never to say never, but I cannot imagine that that's what I'm going back to. But it's a journey. And we tend to see things as very static, like this is how it should be. This is how it should be. And we get in these black and whites. And the more repressed the energy is, think money and sex, the more black and white we tend to be. But actually, I think sexual energy is more about unpacking and unlocking and allowing it to flow at different ways in the life cycle. So there, you know, there's not necessarily one way for a lifetime. There may be for some people. 
there may be an external form for a lifetime, but the internal form is almost sure to change as we change through all the things we go through. And for those of us who bear children, who uh, have hormonal cycles, that changes sexuality as well. So there's, it, it's just not a static thing. So then I really fell in love. Then I found the person I wanted to spend my life with. It was my choice. I wanted this relationship. And life had a whole other adventure for me. <sighs> and the story of that relationship that I will, I will tell in more depth at another time. But we decided to have a baby together. And that was a very difficult journey, the details of which I'll also tell at another time. It was devastating and beautiful and brought me to ayahuasca in my brokenhearted grief, saying, two months before my ayahuasca ceremony, I said to my partner, I said, and I think I was 40 at the time, I said, sex is done for me. Like, I think that part of my life is just done. And I think I was kind of defining it as um, maybe my sex in the city days. I don't know. But I felt like, you know, children aren't happening. I'm settled in my relationship. Like, I think that's over for me. And that's always a little, when you say that. He even said to me later, he said, yeah, I didn't believe you. <laughs> <laughs> I believed it in the moment. And then two months later, I met Grandmother Ayahuasca. And my sexuality turned on like a lightning bolt. And I was able to say in my relationship, if we don't have an actual active sexual life, I'm not willing to be monogamous. And just the act of saying that, I had no, like, plan for action. I did not want to lose that relationship. I did not want to. But I did need to be true to myself, which was that children seemed not to be in my future, but my aliveness was. And my aliveness didn't have a place in that relationship. With no blame for him, we created that together. But to be able to say that was huge, and that came out of Grandmother Ayahuasca. And the continued work with Ayahuasca, ceremony after ceremony, I would try to have these different intentions. I would try to like, work on my career or my purpose or my self-esteem or whatever, <laughs> even though it is all connected, of course. And ayahuasca was always like, sex. And not like sex, like go out and have sex. It was this primal desire. I like to say she remothered me. My own mother had her own wounding around sexuality. And so I was very tight around it. And being remothered by the earth, I was feral. I could feel this desire everywhere for everything. And I remember one ceremony in particular where ayahuasca called me into being out of control. 
not to act out of control, but to feel out of control with desire. And now I know what was happening. I was being called into my power, the power of my desire. And this has been the the journey of a lifetime. And this is why I'm telling you this story. Because when our sexuality is tight, when we have all these fears, and don't get me wrong, I still have a ton of fears and intimacy is hard and all of these things. It's, but to unleash this, to be able to say these things to you, to be able to receive at a whole other level, to enjoy my body and my life at a whole other level, and many things are sexual. Like creating this podcast is highly sexual for me. It's gorgeous. It's juicy. Life is gorgeous and orgasmic. And to be able to have that experience unlocks a whole level of life. That's why it's important. And it's important beyond the reproductive life cycle for that reason. It's nature. This is what nature is is. This is life. I I could go on and on. So this is why it's so, so, so important. And what happened? Ayahuasca helped me wake this up. And being me, I said, okay, I'm going to dive into sacred sexuality, which I talk about in another episode in more depth, what sacred sexuality is. But I went, you could say, too far. That once I had my yes and felt like I could jump in and hold the the charge, I then wasn't able to find myself on the flip side and I crossed my own boundaries. And I bring this up to to really like to share the, the, the complexities and the nuance and to say like, It's not about diving headlong into being naked in a room with all these people having sex and like, you don't have to go all the way you can if that's fun, but it's not one extreme or the other. The balance is in the presence with self. And I firmly believe that When we have trauma, which is like so many of us, sexual healing is best done slowly and carefully. And that while I have had some wildly healing experiences, and, you know, there is something to being able to say to myself. I don't know how you're going to feel about it. I don't love saying it to you, but there's something about saying it to myself. Like, yeah, you did that. You know, you participated in that ceremony. You went all the way. Like, you're something else. Like, I can look back on my life and say, okay, I really threw myself into these containers. I also know that it was really hard on me and that I gave too much permission And I tend to be either, no, I won't talk to you, Derek, which is complete contraction, right? 
or a complete yes, and I'm not present. And so my work and our work in sexuality, in life, is to take steps that we can still feel our bodies and still be present and harness the power. So right in this moment, I feel really heavy on my chair and I can feel the back. I'm leaning into the back of the chair and I have my feet are warm and they're sitting on a cushion and I can really feel myself and I can feel what I'm sharing with you. I can feel my heart. So I know I haven't gone too far. I'm sharing from who I really am. That's the exploration of having our power and having it be grounded, having our desire and have it be grounded. It's that's when we can actually really create what we want to create. And when people say to me, oh, I love your energy, I think that's what they're responding to more than anything else. I remember being about 14 and thinking about a boy that I liked at church and going for a walk in my neighborhood and saying to God, when... When is it going to happen for me? I felt behind in not having love. I can honestly say that the desire for sacred union is one of the gifts of my life. That desire in my heart, that longing has created so much. I've experienced that sacred union in bits and pieces with other people, overflowing in my own life. I am coming towards a sense of inner marriage. I am gradually catching the truth of it being the inner marriage first. And I still sometimes go, that's second best. The voice in the head is this cliche of you have to be happy with yourself before you find somebody else is really just a crutch to make people feel better. Like that horrible voice is in my head. But I also know from embodied experience day to day that the inner marriage of me holding me and full as me is everything. And whether, you know, my work is going well or not or have a partner or not or whatever it is, all of it is actually irrelevant. It's only my relationship to life that really deeply matters. And that's an experience from the inside. That's my connection to God. That's, that's my heart. And any relationship that I'm going to have in the future, and yes, I hope that there is a beautiful relationship ahead for me in the future. And I know that that relationship is going to be a walking alongside each other and that there's no room for compromise of my life force energy. That doesn't mean there's not room to compromise and do things that I don't want to do sometimes. No, no, no. But this path that is so precious, that has taken me from wondering if love was going to ever happen for me, or even when I'm six, watching the magical lady die, walk down the aisle and wanting that with all my heart and soul to today having this life of just incredible beauty, like beauty everywhere in a form I couldn't even have imagined 
when on paper, I don't have any really of the things that, that, that people say that they want. That journey is, is priceless. It's my portal into myself, which is life, which is God, which is absolutely everything. So I honor the sacred sexual longing that people bring to me. I think this journey is one of the most important we can take. And when our sexuality stirs us, it's a very strong call. It's a very strong call for healing, for life, for love. It really does make everything possible. I really hope that you enjoyed this episode. It's extremely vulnerable. (laughs) Scary. My heart is bursting. And um, I'd I'd love to hear from you anytime how this resonates for you and know that if these things are things that you're experiencing, if you're feeling this sense of awakening or desire or wanting more or processing traumas or feeling frozen around sexuality or not feeling good in your body or any of these things or thinking it's done for you at any age, just know that like life is juicy. It's all here. And this is exactly what I love to do in the world is support people in connecting to this place. So please be in touch. And uh, I would love to talk more with you about these things and talk more with you about working together to find that juice. If this resonates with you, be sure to subscribe so you get all the juicy episodes to come. And if you have a friend who is deep into their personal growth and healing journey, share this podcast with them too. Now go out and experience the aliveness that's here for you today.